0: that is really good news, my friends. No matter what you've done or what you'll do, he loves you. Our adoption as sons and daughters of God is not contingent on our performance. Our roots can go deep. Welcome. It is really good to be together today. I think there was some question this week if we were going to be able to make it happen with rising numbers, and uh, we did. So it's really good to be together one more time before there is a significant break. Um, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really, really pleased to get to be with you guys this morning. Um, We're in a series called uh, The Jesus Way, and uh, we are having encounters with Jesus through the gospel. And today we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus in the desert, his baptism and his temptation. And it's a significant passage, and I think it has a lot of importance and bearing for us today. We're going to look at it in really three parts. We're going to look at his baptism in identity. We're going to look at his fasting in the desert and then take a look at the actual temptation uh, that happens when Satan shows up. So with that, we're going to dive in. Uh, starts with Matthew three sixteen. We're going to read Matthew 3.16 to 4.1. 3.16 says, And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. This is an interesting story. It's primarily what we're going to be looking at is Jesus's temptation. But immediately preceding the temptation, we have Jesus's baptism and this amazing affirmation of Jesus's identity by the Father. And this is critical for what we're looking at today because Jesus's identity as son did not come on the other side of his temptation. Jesus, the father didn't show up and say, son, with you, I'm well pleased after he was tested. He didn't come after the desert. He didn't come after the temptation and said, you succeeded, you have earned sonship. The testing came after the affirmation of his sonship. And this is really important. Because in our lives, Jesus promises us that in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome The world. In this world, we will have things that are terrifying, things that are difficult. We will be tested and tried. We will face difficulty. But our adoption as sons and daughters of God is not contingent on our performance in those difficult times. Our identity with Christ, our identity through Christ, Our identity as members of God's family is not as derived from our success. It is is something that God himself does in choosing us, in adopting us. It's something that we get to receive, not something that we have to go out and earn. And that is really good news, my friends. That we, because of what Jesus has done, dying on the cross, making a way for us to go back into God's family, that we get to be members of his household and parts of his family, not because we have endured trial. It comes first. Romans 8 says, even all, for all who are led by the Spirit are children of God, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. They were children of God. Important. First step. So Jesus' ministry flowed out of his identity as son. And immediately as his identity was confirmed, as the skies split open and a dove alighted on his shoulder and the voice of the father boomed affirmation over him, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. And he spent time in the wilderness first before the temptation. Matthew 4.2 says that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. This idea of going into the wilderness or going into the desert immediately after a powerful engagement with God is not reserved only for Jesus. Jesus. It is a common theme throughout scripture. When Israel, Israel was freed from slavery, when they were set free from Egypt and they passed through the waters of the Red Sea, they were then led into the desert and spent 40 years there. Jesus, after his baptism and affirmation of his identity, went and spent 40 days in the desert. Paul, after his conversion from being Saul and persecuting Christians, went up for a few years to Tarsus and spent time in isolation. This is thematic in the Bible because it is also something that I think happens in nature. That time in the desert... Time in suffering, time in waiting, time in isolation is actually really important for our roots to grow deep. A few years ago, my dad was planting trees outside uh, of their house along the driveway. He loves trees. He's planted like 40 on their property, but he planted this round of trees and uh with those trees, he told me something, and it just stuck. He was just recounting his lawn care maintenance, and he's like, well, you know, we put 60 or 70 gallons of water on the trees, and then we don't water them for two weeks, and then we put 60 or 70 gallons of water on the trees, and then we don't water them for two weeks. He goes, it's really important to water them that way, because if you just watered them consistently and slowly, the roots would spread out gently across the surface uh, and not go very deep. I said, that's fine if there's never any wind or never any droughts. But if a storm comes and blows and the roots aren't deep, the tree will fall over. Or if a drought comes, the roots aren't deep enough to get water from far below the surface. So the tree will choke out and die. And I think it is similar in our lives that oftentimes we have a powerful spiritual experience, we have a baptism, we are immersed in the reality of God, we walk through some significant spiritual thing, and then all of a sudden, it's dry. And it's not God's cruelty, it's his love, which allows us to be able to dig deep below the surface and allow our roots to go deep. Seasons in the desert oftentimes do not feel like uh, there's a lot of fruit or a lot of growth. When we're suffering, when we're waiting, when we're enduring, it does not feel like there's a lot of external growth. But what happens in seasons of waiting, what happens in seasons of suffering is that our roots can go deep. That we can be firmly rooted and established through the hard times into the reality of who God is. So that then when there are external storms or external droughts, we can survive the difficulties and the circumstances that are around us. Jesus was baptized, his identity was affirmed, and he went and spent 40 days in the desert, fasting and in hunger, so that his roots would be deep. So when Satan himself comes to tempt Jesus, that he would be strong in the face of that temptation. And so there are two invitations that I want to give you in the first part of this sermon. The first one is that if you don't know your identity in God as adopted son or daughter, if you feel like your primary identity in God is black sheep or outcast, if you feel like your primary identity is orphan, maybe taken care of in the orphanage, but not fully welcomed in to the household or family of God. If you feel like your primary identity is servant, your primary identity is maybe enlisted soldier. All of those are well, servanted soldier are fine things, but that's not the first identity. The first identity is son or daughter of God. I want to invite you guys to pursue God that way, to allow him to speak his father's heart over you, that he is unfailingly committed to your good. He loves you. No matter what you've done or what you'll do, he loves you. And he is strong and capable and able to bring you through whatever challenges that you're facing. He is a loving father and he has made a way for you back into his family through the blood of his son. And he who gave up his own son, will he not give you everything else? It is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if you haven't experienced God as a loving and generous father, There's an invitation to receive him that way. The second invitation is that, I think it's particularly pertinent in 2020, that if you're in a season of wet desert and wilderness, if you're in a season of protracted isolation, suffering, or waiting... Or if you're about to head into that, maybe going home feels like isolation and desert. I want to encourage you guys to not despair. Suffering and waiting is a normal part of the Christian life. God's not waiting for you to get through it in order to give you his love, he's not withholding his love from you in the midst of the desert and suffering. It is a normal part of life. Don't despair. We all go through hard times. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't despair in the wilderness. God is present in the wilderness. When Israel was in the desert for 40 years, he appeared as a cloud, which provided shade in the midst of the desert, and a pillar of fire, which provided heat in the cold desert nights. He is there. He will lead you. He will comfort you. He will help you through, even if it's painful. The second invitation about the desert, maybe it's a long quarantine for you, is not to miss the invitation. In the desert, there's an invitation not to bear fruit above the ground, but there's an invitation to grow roots deep with the Lord. Don't miss it and just entertain yourself through it or distract yourself through it, but to really to press in and allow those roots to go deep so that when there are bigger storms, when there are drier seasons, you will be well prepared to draw water from deep below the surface and be rooted against whatever storms come and blow. As we've walked through a difficult year in 2020, and there are more difficult years ahead. And God desires you to have deep roots so that we can be like trees planted by the streams of water, bearing fruit in season, our leaves never never withering. The desert waiting, isolation and suffering is the best time to grow roots. So Jesus grew his roots in the desert, and then he was met, he was hungry, and then he was met face to face by Satan. It's exciting. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, as is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, the first temptation the devil shows up and tells him, Hey, you're hungry. Why don't you use your power, use your divine power to take care of your own needs? You're hungry. Use your power to meet the needs that you have. Jesus responds with scripture probably scripture that he's been meditating on as he's been really hungry in the desert for a long period of time. One does not live by bread alone. Great, because he's living in the desert without bread. That's good news. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. An invitation for seasons of fasting is to feast on the word of God that our life actually does not come from bread. Our life comes from the breath of God. He is the one who sustains us and will provide for our needs. What's interesting here is that Jesus spent this time in the desert meditating on Scripture, and it even prepared him for the coming test and encounter with the devil. See, times in the desert also helps us prepare for what's ahead. I know I already said this, but the story keeps coming to mind, which is uh, the story of the wise and foolish virgins. There were uh, 10 virgins uh, in a story that Jesus told who were waiting for this bridegroom to come, and they would keep watch out on the sidewalk, and they'd keep lamps burning at night to welcome the bridegroom who was coming with light and to greet him. And in the parable, Jesus talks about some of the virgins who bought extra oil and kept it with them and some who did not. It says the bridegroom was delayed in coming. They all fell asleep and then when they woke up, they realized that the bridegroom was down the hill approaching and the foolish virgins had used up all the oil in their lamps and had not bought more oil. The wise ones had additional oil that they were able to fill their lamps with and keep the lamps burning. I feel like we are in a season where it is critical to be like the wise virgins who buy oil when there's an opportunity. Buying oil or letting your roots go deep, it's the same image. It is getting the resources that you need before you need them. Allowing your roots to go deep in desert seasons allows you to sustain storms and real droughts. Buying oil, seeking intimacy with God before you need that intimacy to survive is critical. And so I want to invite you guys in this season to let your roots go deep and to buy the oil that you need now because when it's dark, we'll need that oil And when it was dark for Jesus, when he was faced by Satan, he was able to say, no, one does not live by bread alone. I'm not going to use my power to meet my own needs. So he refuted the first temptation. What's interesting about temptation is that oftentimes they are closely aligned with our actual purposes. They can be a shortcut to where we want to go. But the problem with a shortcut is that it usually, when it's sin, it always leads us to the opposite destination that we want to go to. Think about this for a moment. Let's pretend you want financial security. You want a peaceful life, okay? Instead of working hard to earn the money to do that, we decide we're going to go sin and rob a bank so that we can have the financial security that we desire, the peace of mind, we end up by robbing the bank with the money that we think will buy us the peace of mind that we're desiring. But in reality, we're always worried about being found out for robbing the bank. And so we might even have the money, but we have less peace of mind than we had before. Sin leads us to the opposite destination. We're longing for intimacy, We desire a partner and someone who loves us unconditionally, and we desire to be known. So we become sexually promiscuous, hungering for intimacy, and what we find out is we end up with lots of sex, but less intimacy than we had before. The core desire is unmet, and in fact, we're farther from intimacy than we were when we started. Sin leads us to the opposite direction of where we're trying to go. I think the reason that this temptation for Jesus to uh, make bread out of stone was attractive or even a temptation is because it was closely aligned to his purpose, but it would have led him in the opposite direction. He's trying to avoid the suffering. You see, Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus was to use his own power to meet the hunger of the world, not by simply turning stones into bread, but by giving up his own life so that we may all be satisfied. But he successfully navigated that temptation. The second temptation, we'll read, the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Satan returns fire with a temptation and some scripture used out of context. Jesus says to him, again, it is written, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test. And so he shot down the temptation. Why would standing on top of the temple and throwing himself off and being caught by angels actually be a temptation for Jesus. See, it would have been an unrefutable sign. It would have gathered the crowds and proven his divinity. It would have been an amazing thing for all to see. See, most of Jesus's, I think all of Jesus's miracles were kind of personal and sort of hidden and could be missed. It was healing a leper one-on-one. It was maybe feeding the 5,000, but it was just by breaking this bread, and then it multiplies. This was a bombastic sign, heaving himself off of the temple roof and being seen by all to float down magically and land without a thing. It would have gathered the crowds. It would have been an unrefutable sign. Would have had, he would have used his power to gain popularity, See, and the road that Jesus ended up having to take led not to popularity with the crowds, but it led for the crowds chanting for his death. So it was a real temptation, but he shut it down. He didn't use his power to meet his own needs. He didn't use the power that he had been given to meet his own popularity And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil left him and suddenly the angels came and waited on him. You see, this last one is a tough one because it got to the ultimate purpose of Jesus's ministry. It looked forward to the end of all things when every tribe, tongue, and nation will willingly bow before Jesus and worship him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But this was a shortcut to say, "Just, just worship Satan, and you don't have to go through the cross. We don't have to go through the thousands of years of history of the kingdom of God slowly invading the earth. We don't have to go through all that suffering. I will give you power from over rather than this sort of other way. But Jesus shot it down because his type of kingdom is not the kind of kingdom that exerts power from over. See, in Matthew 20, Jesus says this. It says, when you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them, it will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the way of Jesus is not exerting power from over like dictators or tyrants, but it is this power from under serving our most desperate needs, taking care of our sin, freeing us from bondage, healing the difficult wounds of our past, seeking righteousness and peace and joy, slowly and ultimately will eliminate evil. So that it will be a kingdom of volitional love rather than a kingdom of sheer power and fear. See, in this kingdom, the way up is down. The way to greatness is service. It is after the image of our King Jesus, who did not account equality with God as something to be exploited, Who did not use his great power to procure his own needs or his own popularity or his own power, but instead went to death, even death on a cross. And what's important is that he did this from this place of identity as a son. He didn't do this, he didn't give up his life to earn the love of the Father. He did not give up the popularity so that there would be a twinkle in the father's eyes. He did not prioritize the needs of others so that God might like him a little bit more. He was confident in his identity as a son. And it freed him up not to have to look out for his own interests, but that he could go and serve the interests of the world. And he invites us into this sort of kingdom. But if we don't get the identity piece right first, we're gonna get the service piece wrong because we're going to be giving up our own needs. We're gonna be giving up our own lives, but we're not going to be doing it out of love, which is self-sacrificially seeking the best interest of another. We'll be doing even great feats for God, trying to fill uh, an affection gap in our own lives, trying to earn the love of the Father, trying to earn his affirmation, and it will ultimately be about us rather than being about what God is doing in the world. See, Jesus stepped out confident in who he was, deeply rooted in the love of his father. And he was able to face horrible temptation and then walk out the ministry of proclaiming the gospel, going to Golgatha and being crucified. Because he knew who he was. He said, I can do nothing apart from what I see the father doing. He knew who he was. He knew who the father was. And that gave him the power to walk out this cruciform life. And Jesus invites us into his love. And as a function of that, we get to partner with what God is doing in the world. And oftentimes, it will look like prioritizing the needs of other people before our own. It will look like uh, pursuing obedience over popularity. It will look like serving from under rather than exerting power from over. We can be ready for that. But it's okay because we're not getting our needs taken care of by our own work. Read Matthew 6, and Jesus says, you know what? The sparrows, they need food. Your Father knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of this will be added unto you. He cares about your needs. He really does. And because we have a Father who cares about our needs, we can prioritize other people rather than our own needs and allow God to take care of our needs. And we don't need the popularity and affirmation of other people when we know the love of the living God. When we know that we are fully known and fully loved by the most perfect being in the universe. We don't need the applause of man when we have the affirmation of God. And when we know our Father we don't have to exert power out of fear over people we can be freed up to love and serve them because we are in the kingdom of the true king who is going to bring redemption to the whole world